name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Last weekend at the Good News Festival, I heard something that made a deep impression on me. It was the simple phrase, love always. Presiding Bishop Michael Curry had said it in his sermon last Saturday. And this was the quote that it came with him. <clears throat> love when you feel like it, and love when you don't. Love when you believe it, and love when you don't. Love on the mountaintop, and love in the valley. But love always. Love yourself always. Love your neighbor always. Love your God always. Love always because love made you, and love will set you free. It got me. It also made me think of that painful and beautiful novel Beloved by Toni Morrison, when the black womanist preacher, Baby Sucks Holy, gathers all the slaves in the middle of a forest clearing, telling the slaves to love every part of themselves. Love always. I then thought, it is so easy to love on the mountaintop to love people that are easy to love because they love you back or are, or are on that same wavelength. The real thing is to love in the valley. That's the hard part. And so in this fourth Sunday of Advent, I would like to focus on love always in the valley. Last week, Karen Blanton talked about how Jesus was not who they expected him to be. He was a lover of souls, not a warrior king. Today's readings explicate this further by showing the origins of Jesus' identity as witnessed by the prophet Isaiah. The historical time frame is during the coronation of Hezekiah, perhaps one of the greatest reigns next to King David, and the one in which the first imaginative and faithful glimpses of the Messiah begin. It is during this time that the prophet Isaiah becomes privy to the decrees coming out of the divine council. I always love this term, divine counsel, because for me, it crystallizes my imagination, imagining all those divine thrones, imagining Jesus' throne, and who is on his left, maybe Martin Luther King, and who is on his right, maybe Edith Stein, or Joan of Arc. 
More to the point, though, Isaiah in this instance is comforting the people concerning the threat that the Assyrians posed. He is saying basically that the Lord has your back, so don't worry. Then the name Emmanuel is mentioned, which means God is with us. This will be his name, and it's the first start toward identifying the Holy One. Matthew's Gospel carries on this identification process with a genealogy, and he does this to help us understand that the divine being that is coming into the world has a human and Jewish lineage. This genealogy will later furnish the contents regarding Jesus' identity that became so important at the Council of Nicaea, when there was so much at stake in what constituted heresy and what did not. So Matthew makes clear the human line that Jesus is a descendant from, and in doing so corroborates the human and Jewish ancestry in whom we say he was. Scholars call this domain of research Christology, because it tries to answer the question of who we say Jesus is. What is his nature? But something else besides Jesus' identity is suggested here, and that is the social and political locations of Mary and Joseph and why this is important. Beginning with Mary, we see her as the Theotokos, that in Greek means God-bearer. Mary is considered first among the saints because she met the requirements of discipleship in an incredible and magnificent way. She also gave birth to God's Son, loved, educated, and provided for Him. Here, though, she is a young, arguably brown-skinned teenager, girl betrothed to Joseph. In this part of Matthew's Gospel, we find the holy couple between the betrothal and the actual marriage ceremony and celebration. But there is a problem. Mary is pregnant, and according to the Deuteronomic Code, after being betrothed to someone, she could not have been a child. According to the Deuteronomic Code, Mary could have been stoned to death if this was proven true. Now we know Mary had faith that she pondered the words of the divine in her heart, but still she must have known the specific and grave consequences that being pregnant out of wedlock could trigger. Mary is in the valley, and her brand of loving always will be a courageous love that with God's help has her stepping through the fear and anxiety of death that was the moment the pregnancy was noticed, always close at hand. Imagine the anxiety and fear her mind 
inside. The point is, Mary knew that these were the possible outcomes, and yet she still managed to persevere, to love always, with a courageous love, emboldened by the conviction that God would deliver But what about Joseph? Joseph is betrothed to Mary, but he is noticing that she is pregnant, and he knows he is not the father. So being a righteous man, he plans to dismiss her discreetly. So Joseph knows that Mary can be put to death if he exposes her, but he does not do so. This is commendable because it saves Mary's reputation and also possibly her life. What increases the level of Joseph's moral and spiritual stature is that he is obedient to the dream because he believes that it has happened even without having proof. You could argue that this may have been easier for him living in a world that took myth more seriously than we do. Still, he obeyed the truth-teller. He believed the angel of the Lord, that Mary had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and that he would name the child Emmanuel. God is with us. Joseph is exemplary because he believes and obeys the contents of the dream. Joseph's love in the valley is then a dutiful love, but it is one qualified by his humility and faith in that he believes in the miracle of an immaculate conception. Perhaps this is the reason he was chosen as Jesus' earthly father, vis-a-vis Jesus' heavenly But what does this have to do with us? It says that Joseph and Mary can be seen as models of dutiful and courageous love while being in the battle. It says that during this Advent season we can prepare to receive Jesus' coming into the world by loving in the battle within forms of love that are brave and responsible. Ideally, we should be aiming for a disposition of love in all of our actions. A disposition of love that has no boundaries. And when we love so automatically like this, I believe we become driven further and further into the kingdom of heaven. Let's face it though, it is so hard sometimes to love someone cannot love us back, or who has hurt us, or who is indifferent to us, but we ought to try. Indeed, love created us. We were meant to love others, and especially the people we don't know, or who are suffering because of this world. Jesus is coming to earth this Christmas reminds us of that. Let us now 